What is up, everybody? I am Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast. One of last year's most exciting news events was the introduction of crypto banks in the United States, specifically in Wyoming. We're often told in life that if you want something bad enough, you should just go out and make it happen, and that's exactly what Caitlin Long did. After helping to establish pro-blockchain laws, Caitlin went out and formed the first ever crypto bank, helping to legitimize the crypto industry. Beyond just blockchain, Caitlin has been recognized as a top business leader in tech and is a veteran on Wall Street. I can't wait to hear more from Caitlin about her legislative work in Wyoming and what is needed to open the floodgates of institutional adoption. Caitlin Long, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Hey, it's an honor to be back. Thank you. So, so once again, you're listening to the Wolf of Wall Street's podcast, airs twice a week, where I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, and politics. This podcast is powered by my amazing friends at BlockWorks. You can check them out at blockworks.co for access to the highest quality information in the space. And you can find everything about me at thewolfofdollstreets.io. So first, I, Caitlin, I've never started with a quote, but you have this amazing quote that I want to read. The tipping point for a currency seems to be when society realizes in mass why prices are really going up, namely that the denominator of a price and currency is going down in value. All prices are just ratios expressed as the value of the good numerator in terms of the currency denominator. Can you talk a bit more about what that means? Because I just absolutely love it. Oh boy, yeah, thank you. Uh, um, it, it, well, I think actually the GameStop experience uh, in the stock market really caused a lot of folks to wake up and realize how the system really works, uh, that the rules you know, didn't necessarily help, help the little guy, so to speak, and, uh, and, and you know, that stocks might be going up because there's something else going on other than fundamental value actually being created by businesses. And, uh, it, it, it's definitely, there's, a, there's been a collective awakening. Bitcoin's a big part of it, of course, as well. Um, but, you know, a lot more folks are realizing the, the traditional financial system isn't exactly, you know, fair and stable, especially to the little guy. And um, this has been something I've been talking about for years, uh, trying to figure out how to fix it. I'm, I'm not um, advocating, you know, completely throwing it out. I actually think it's going to exist in parallel for a long time with the crypto system. But um, I'm pretty psyched that we have uh, a, a, a crypto-friendly um, SEC commissioner probably coming in, uh, assuming yeah. he does get confirmed. I think um, you know Commissioner Purse has done yeoman's work in helping to advocate for this inside the SEC. We've got a, a crypto, um, uh, we've got a, a Bitcoin hodler on the Senate Banking Committee, Senator Lummis. There's just a lot of really great stuff happening, and there, you know, there definitely are some anti-crypto people too. But uh, um, generally speaking, you know, the, the market's just growing on its own, and the people are voting with their feet, and it's awesome. It's funny, you say that you've been talking about this for years, and I think a lot of Bitcoiners have, but I think there was sort of a grand awakening to it, obviously, in 2020 with COVID and the economic meltdown. I mean, seeing people suffer on Main Street and seeing this sort of global oh, yeah. economic meltdown, while stocks just bounced as hard as you've ever seen and continued back up, it yeah. really does show, and I talk about this all the time with Bitcoin, the value of an asset and the price of an asset are two very different things. Right. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah, somebody actually put a little, um, uh, I, I wish I could uh, um, give credit to the person who put a little drawing up of something that I'd been saying multiple times, which is that Bitcoin doesn't have price stability, but it has system stability. The dollar may have price stability, but it doesn't have system stability. And um, to, to, to use that. the Nassim Taleb, uh, um, reference to uh, uh, forest fires. 
um, you know, if you just don't let the natural process happen, when the conflagration comes, it's because you didn't let the small burns happen. And we've suppressed volatility as a policy in, in, in fiat currency systems all around the world. And what that's done is taken away the most important price in the economy, which is the price of borrowing money, because that is the traffic signal between different industries that experience where investors figure out where should they invest their capital? Should it be in home builders or should it be in consumer products? And it's also very importantly, the traffic signal that tells investors how to invest their capital over time. And long-term capital intensive product projects like fixing the power grid in Texas take a lot wow. of time to have uh, returns. And you have to be pretty confident in your math if you're going to put capital to work that, that has a 20 year payback period versus something that has a three month payback period. And interest rates are the signal that is the traffic cop there. Um, and, and if they are not uh, set by the free market, then that's when you get the, uh, these so-called clusters of errors where entire industries make the wrong calculation at the same time in the same direction. Usually in markets, you have buyers and sellers, but you know, when the, when the home builders all at once overbuilt in 2007, uh, you know, the years going up to the, the housing crisis, um, you know, is it because they were all stupid or is it because the market was giving them the wrong signal? Same thing with the, um, with the, with, um, the shale businesses in, in the United States, way overinvested. And, uh, and then obviously when, when oil prices crashed um, about a year ago, uh, you know, a lot of those projects it, it were, were revealed to have been never economic in the first place. And those investments should not have been made, but those are very, very long-term investments with long payback periods. So that's why a lot of companies lost a lot of money and we saw a lot of bankruptcies. Well, builders are doing it again, by the way. Yes, they are. Oh my gosh, I saw it just today. Uh, I don't know when the show will, 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 uh, will, will, will run, but just today we had um, a home builders, uh, new home sales number, I think it was 923,000 annualized. We have not seen that since I think 2004. Now, granted, there's a lot of migration happening. People are moving out of cities. Some people are moving into cities. There's just a lot of migration happening. Um, and and uh, it, COVID has definitely had an impact. And so maybe there was pent up demand, but I don't know. I mean, it feels like the real estate market is is really yeah. on fire too. But so so if interest rates are the traffic signal or, and all the things you just talked about, it seems to me like we've got like a massive roadblock of SWAT teams with flashing lights, right? This isn't just like a casual, uh, you know, beware of the curve kind of thing at this point. So I think we're likely past the tipping point of fixing this. What do you think the end game is of all of these pop policies that we're seeing now? Well, so this is where I'll challenge you because I've I'm not giving up on fixing it, and here's and here's why. I'm actually really optimistic that the advent of real-time payments is actually going to cause the system to deleverage on its own. What we don't know is whether there's some event that comes in um, in the intervening period. And let me explain this. Um, stable coins are, the, are such an interesting phenomenon because the velocity of stable coins is is stunning. I, the, the last time I looked at the Exchange reported velocity of Tether, it was 1,247 times annually. So each Tether trades, trades hands 1,247 times annually. Wow. The US dollar M1 velocity, which is apples to apples, is four, okay? So not even in the same zip code. So what's going on? Well, Tether and, and other 
stable coins are really, really efficient payment systems compared to the payment systems that are available for the US dollar. They settle with finality. So, you know, for certain, certain circumstances, um, and they settle in minutes and they're traceable, right? In cer for certain circumstances, you, they're definitely better and the users have figured that, figured that out. Okay, so what that's telling you is velocity is coming from tech. It's not coming from leverage. I just had this conversation with a, a number of really smart people that I've known for years yesterday, kind of uh, coming from the same economic school of thought about, about velocity. What we all learned in school for the velocity of money is that central banks inject a dollar into the traditional banking system. Banks lever it 10 to one through fractional reserve banking. That's how you get the money multiplier of 10. Well, right now it's four, but, um, but let's, let's use the textbook math. Um, and the money multiplier of 10 uh, turned into $10 of M2 for every $1 of the monetary base. And that's the way it used to work. And it used to be textbook and predictable. The Fed would inject reserves into the banking system. And then six months later, you'd see an increase in CPI. And so that's how they managed, managed the, the traditional banking system. That was based on leverage. How did we get velocity? What was, how did we get that money multiplier of 10? It was through leverage because the, frac the, the banks fractionally reserved and they started to, to take interest rate and credit risk. They did maturity transformation. That's what lending banks do. They, they, they take demand deposits and turn them into mortgage loans. Okay, so that's the traditional system. We got velocity through leverage, but what I just described to you with stable coins is we're getting velocity through tech, not through leverage. And so this is a really important point. Even if stable coins and crypto didn't exist, the push towards real-time payments or faster payments is coming. We have real-time ACH coming in the banking system in the US. We have FedNow coming in the banking system in the US. So even if crypto weren't part of it and you didn't have stable coins, you're going to actually have more pressure on banks to settle things faster. Now, let's go back to think about that leverage model of fractional reserve banking. If all of a sudden things settle faster and the banks are you know, taking demand deposits and converting them into mortgage loans, 30-year mortgage loans, right? And taking that, that interest rate mismatch, they have better ways to manage that than they used to for sure, interest rate derivatives, et cetera. But um, stop and think about that business model in a world where everything settles fast, as opposed to takes, you know, ACH can take two, three days to settle. Fedwire, you can, you can get same day, but sometimes it doesn't quite work same day. Swift, um, sometimes, like I know we, I worked with a corporate um, customer, it took six days to move money say, from I'm Thailand to the US. Yeah. It's its own money, right? So, all right, so we're going to a more, to a faster, faster system. How can the banks take that kind of leverage in a faster payment system? It's going to naturally delever. And by the way, as much as everyone um, is concerned, not everyone, but a lot of people are concerned about the size of the growth of the Fed's balance sheet. What's actually happening is the Fed is deleveraging the traditional banking system by doing that. So we're actually stepping forward into a more deleveraged system. And as we speed everything up and we start to get velocity through tech, it, that's, that's just going to accelerate. And so I'm not sure that the traditional banking system isn't going to be able to claw its way out of this, but everybody's got to be smart and anticipate it and understand what's going on. We're getting velocity through tech, not velocity through leverage. We don't need that leverage anymore. And if we don't need that leverage anymore, then the system's fundamentally more stable. I'll, I'll, I'll close this diatribe. I know it's been a long no, one it's, no, with, it's um, amazing. with, uh, with uh, cre crediting Nick Carter. I, I talk about this all the time. I think he's absolutely right. Stable coins are actually going to extend 
not threaten the US dollars dominance as reserve currency of the world. And it's because it's great technology and you know, folks will keep using the US dollar as long as it's got good payment technology um, and not switch over to China's CBDC. But if China's CBDC really does actually have better technology, every corporate treasurer who controls most of the foreign exchange volume in, the, in markets has a really strong incentive to find the best and, and fastest and cheapest and safest way to move money. Corporate treasurers may not care whether, you know, China knows where all their money's moving. Um, the yeah. Privacy may not matter to them. What matters to them is cost and efficiency and safety. And so um, there is a technology arms race. A lot of people have made this point in payment technology and the US is absolutely behind but there are things on the horizon that actually give me some some confidence that that uh, that that there, there's reason to be optimistic. Let's put it that way. Right. And we just saw a few months ago that the OCC said that uh, banks will be able to use uh, stable coins, which challenges SWIFT and HCH, all of these. So as much yeah. as we're behind, at least there's a clear recognition that there's a superior system available and it's worth experimenting with. Yeah, well, and by the way, it's not small. Um, to the total ACH and Fedwire payments in the United States annualized are 752 trillion. Uh, guess what the annualized trading volume of Tether using the exchange reported numbers, which I know are not verifiable, <laughs> right? Okay, so I get, I get that these, these are not great numbers to use, but it's 44 trillion. Well, actually, if you look at the on-chain Tether volume, it's something like, seven or eight trillion, I may not be right about that, but it's in the trillions and it's consistently in the, in the multi-trillions. It's not small anymore, right? I mean, there's something going on. And then um, one of the interesting things uh, is Binance USD has kind of come out of nowhere and also has huge on-chain velocity. And of course it's you know, off-chain velocity as well um, with exchanges crosses happening at Binance. But it's, it's not just a tether story, it's USDC, it's it's um, it's it's uh, it's Binance USD. It's Paxos Standard. They're all trading at very high velocities, which tells you it's it's this is not a fluke. There is something really important going on in the stablecoin world for sure. Yeah, and you were obviously ahead of this. I mean, you announced the establishment of Avanti Financial Group last February, right? So, yes. what does an entirely crypto bank mean? What what are you establishing? Well, one thing is, uh, we, it's not really a crypto bank. It's a, that's a misnomer because I, <laughs> all we're doing, it's funny. It's, I, I get why the, the term has evolved that way. It's a bank that can provide trust services for crypto. So, so it's not like you're depositing your Bitcoin in the right. way that you deposit dollars in a bank, in your traditional bank. Um, we can only take US dollar deposits. Deposits meaning the deposits in the traditional bank um, and that is going to work just like your traditional bank U.S. dollar deposits do, except we're just going to be more tech forward because uh, we've got an awesome tech team. Um, uh, but on top of that, we can tr we can provide custody services for Bitcoin and other cryptos. Um, so, including our own our own um, Avit instrument, which is a stablecoin like instrument. Uh, so the interesting point is that doesn't exist right now because there's been a separation of that in the marketplace. And why is it important? Because if you can actually settle a trade under the same roof in the same legal entity between a Fed cleared US dollar and a Bitcoin, all of a sudden you open the market up to a lot of innovation that we can't even predict at this point. 
And you also take a big risk out of the crypto industry, which is that if somebody pays a crypto service provider for a, for a Bitcoin in ACH, if they pay the dollar payment through ACH, that ACH payment can technically be clawed back for up to 90 days. Mm. And so if you think about the crypto provider who's, who's um, delivering a Bitcoin and, um, and then the customer claws back the ACH US dollar payment, guess what? That service provider's out both sides of that trade. That's a big right. risk issue. In, um, in this industry. It's why, you know, the Coinbases of the world don't allow you after you purchase Bitcoin to take it off platform for several days, because um, there's a big, a big financial risk for them. And it's all tied to how ACH works. Um, if you send them a Fedwire, that's fine, because Fedwire is final clear, clearance in Fed dollars. Um, but what the, the Wyoming Speedy Banks can offer if they're approved by the Federal Reserve to do that, is actually Fed cleared US dollar services. That's not available to crypto right now. And it's not available under the, specifically it's not available under the same roof as any institution that can also provide custody services for crypto. So we're combining those two things that of course exist in spades outside. Um, in other words, the silver gates and signatures of the world provide US dollar, Fed cleared US dollar services but they, they don't custody crypto. The crypto custodians don't have access to, to Fed clearing services. So we're putting those two things under the same roof. So what does it mean when we see banks like Mellon starting to talk about this? Well, what's interesting, I came, as you know, from the traditional banking world. Um, they're not building it themselves, generally. I don't know of any of the big banks that are truly building Bitcoin custody, right? They probably, a number of them have custody right. for um, private blockchain tokens. Um, you know, JPM coin is a perfect right, example of, of that, right? But it's not trading outside of JP Morgan. Um, you have to be, it, it's, a it's a walled garden. You have to be in the club in order to get access to that. Um, and it's really just a, a ledger entry is really what it is um, to, to clear transactions among parties that are part of their own closed network. But um, the, the, um, the, the benefit of, of, of what we can do, of course, with an open permissionless blockchain backend is that others can join the network too. Right. Um, and so those open permissionless block, blockchain backends have been, um, have been persona non grata to the big banks up until recently. And because they haven't built on them, they haven't hired engineers. I think a lot of the engineers who really truly have chops in those, in those open permissionless protocols probably aren't necessarily looking to go work for a big bank. Um, and, so, uh, and so basically what's happening to, uh, to, to round it all out is that they're looking, those big banks are looking to, to sub-custodian arrangements. They're contracting out to crypto companies who truly know how to do this uh, and just don't happen to be banks. So I have to imagine when you started this, we had not seen all of this news from the OCC giving permission to do certain things. Yeah. Is that why you went to Wyoming? <laughs> Well, no, actually, you know what's funny is um, I actually think that Wyoming pushed the OCC. Uh, I know that um, because right. it was happening at the state level and there's always been competition between the national regulator, which is the OCC and the state regulators. Every, every bank has, a, has their own regulator. We have a two-tiered banking system where state banks and national banks coexist. They actually have the exact same powers because most states actually give their state chartered banks exactly the same powers as national banks. They each, most states have something called parity statutes that makes state and national banks equal. 
And, uh, and then uh, in the early 90s, there was a, a law passed called Regal Neal, which, uh, which it created interstate banking, and it prohibits states from discriminating against other states' state chartered banks. Right. So a New York, a New York bank can't discriminate against New York. New York can't discriminate against a Wyoming state chartered bank. What it can do is make the Wyoming state chartered bank register, or in the case of New York, open a branch. So there's a little bit of extra hoops that have to be jumped through, but it's not major. Um, and uh, and we have the same powers. Uh, and frankly, um, there's there's a lot. Uh, there's so many details. This is so much more complicated even than I thought it, it would be uh, going into this about um, the way the differences in the way state charter banks operate and, and national banks operate. But there's one really important point. Um, not all banks are considered equal. The, uh, the OCC banks are trust banks. They are not full banks. What, what does that mean? It means they can't take deposits. W what's the significance of that? It means they can't clear US dollars at the Fed because they're just a trust bank. They're not a depository institution. They just provide custody services, but they cannot clear US dollar payments. So all of the trust banks still need to have a third party bank that clears their US dollars. So now we're back to, all right, can we, can we clear a, a US dollar trade and a Bitcoin in the, under the same roof and get a true atomic swap? No, you can't no. do that right now. And the OCC charters don't allow that. The state, the Wyoming Speedy Charter does. Sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto and is 100% commission free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 50 top crypto assets and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank accounts. So you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they're offering up to 6.5 APR on Bitcoin and up to 9.5% on USDC. Yes, you heard that correctly, up to 9.5%. And there are no limits or lockups, which means your funds always stay liquid. Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. That's S-C-O-T-T-2-5. This episode is brought to you by Mina, the world's lightest blockchain. Mina is a layer one crypto protocol that replaces the traditional blockchain with a zero knowledge proof ensuring a super light and constant size chain that allows participants to quickly sync and verify the network. Their upcoming mainnet launch is right around the corner and there are opportunities to participate in community leaderboard challenges for rewards. Visit minaprotocol.com wolf to find out how you can get involved and earn tokens ahead of mainnet. DeFi is where all the excitement is, but participating in it can be a nightmare. Not anymore with Matcha. Matcha makes it ridiculously easy to create a wallet, onboard new users, execute trades, and source liquidity. The best part is that it's cheaper than Uniswap and delivers the best prices on the market by aggregating all the available liquidity and routing to the best source. My favorite part of Matcha is that it offers high-level trading features like limit orders, liquidity depth visualization, gas efficiency, and more. Sign up for Matcha now at matcha.xyz slash wolf. That's M-A-T-C-H-A dot X-Y-Z slash W-O-L-F. And join the tens of thousands of traders who are already a part of the movement. And why, why is Wyoming so ahead of their time? It's funny, when I started looking at what Wyoming was doing um, with crypto, for some reason, it was just so reminiscent of Colorado with marijuana in the early days. It was like... Yeah. The state said you could do one thing, but they were never sure what the Fed would allow them to do. You saw these suitcases and trucks full of cash and no federal <laughs> bank would take their money. But yeah. right. I mean, is it somewhat similar 
not, not to be ironic, that's the Wild West because you were literally in the right. Wild West. But, um, you know, in those early days and still, is it is there some confusion or risk as to what uh, they might do at a federal level? Well, you've always seen the states experiment. Um, th th there's a phrase called states are the living laboratories of democracy. And it, it, there are so many examples. Marijuana is just one, but Wyoming's actually been first in a, in a lot of things. The mm. most specific um, examples are Wyoming gave women the right to vote 50 years before the, the, the whole United States did in the US Constitution. And uh, so Wyoming was the first state to do it. Um, and uh, in 1869, we just had the 150th uh, anniversary, I think was the, was, the, was the timing of that. And then the other, the other one is um, Wyoming invented the limited liability company in 1977. Really? So um, every state, to be honest, has their first. Wyoming just definitely has more. Well, there's a whole long list. And a lot of it has to do with giving women power in government. Um, first woman governor, first, first woman justice of the peace, first woman sheriff, it was all in Wyoming. That's why they call Wyoming the, the equality state. Um, but so this whole notion of states getting out in front when, when there's a big trend um, is not new. And uh, Wyoming spotted this and said, you know, there's something legitimate here. And it was a perfect alignment of stars. Um, when I got, got out here, I thought the one thing I was gonna help do was help Wyoming fix its bad money transmitter statute, which had run all the Bitcoin service providers out of the state. Uh, Wyoming was one of three states that had a poorly worded statute and it just wasn't future-proof. It didn't contemplate anything other than US dollar value could be transferred. And, and so we, I thought I'll just help volunteer to get that fixed. And then the whole thing ended up snowballing because the legis legislature, this is the other important star that aligned, they really wanted economic development for Wyoming and um, wanted to build a financial services industry to try to attract assets. There is a small fee that every asset that comes into Wyoming pays to the state every year. It's a lot less than a, than a corporate income tax that you'd pay in California or New York. It's a lot less than a franchise tax that you pay for the privilege of registering in Delaware, but it is a fee. And the state is, 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 is really hurting because of the energy in industry, especially coal. Um, that used to be a big source of, of revenues. It's how Wyoming paid for the schools. And that's going away and probably not coming back uh, to the extent that it once did. Um, so when, when, Wyoming has, when Wyoming says they need economic diversification, it's truly a, an acute need. And that's what this was about. So um, they spotted the chance. We have this history of going first in a number of, of ways. And we thought, let's just do it. Um, the, and, and I said, all right, I'm, I'll happily roll up sleeves. We got five bills passed in the 2018 session, then uh, eight more in 2019, and then seven more last year. And there are, I think, four or five more proposed uh, for this year. Yeah. You have Wyoming and then you have, you've brought them up a few times. You have New York where you can't do anything. <laughs> Well, they take the approach of regulating, and this is important as well. I think um, you, you alluded that the Wild West, there is definitely a difference in approach. Um, Wyoming and, and, and South Dakota, North Dakota, um, generally Utah, these are, these are small government places. They just don't want to build a big regulatory apparatus. Uh, and so what happens is the, the regulatory uh, bodies are super sophisticated and lean and agile, and you don't have the big, big, um, bureaucracies. And the same thing's true of the legislature. The Wyoming legislature by statute is prohibited from meeting more than 60 days per year 
in a budget session and more than 90 days per year in a general session and they alternate every other year budget versus general so and they're so that means that all the legislators have real jobs they are not full-time legislators and what happens in states like new york and california they're full-time legislators so what do they want they want staffs and then they build a big regulatory apparatus it's just a really different approach to the world um and and you know i think the agility of the small states especially in something like this uh also is one of the stars that aligned to help wyoming you know get this done uh, i will say yesterday there was a hearing nebraska there have been several states that have um that that have tried to copy wyoming's laws and the two that are the most important are the most complicated very intricate the one is is changing commercial law to recognize digital assets and the other is um is the speedy bank charter mm -hmm. and uh nebraska it looks like is going to pass and enact because it's got support of the governor and the banking commissioner and powerful legislators um nebraska will be the first state to actually get those through they've been tried in south south carolina missouri um uh, south dakota i know texas and florida are, are working on it as well but nebraska is gonna nebraska is the first follower and again it's part of this you know, relatively small government looking for something that that the states can be, you know, in, in, ahead of and, and specialize in. Um, and I'll, lastly, I'll, I'll share that happened in South Dakota with the credit card industries in the early 1980s. If you look at your credit card, if, if you flip it over or your debit card, most of them are issued out of a South Dakota bank. Um, they're subsidiaries of the big guys now, but back in the 80s, usually they were independent companies. And um it, actually believe it or not the state with the highest dollar value of banking assets in the banking system is not new york it's south dakota and that's because they okay. sought out the you know specialty to attract the credit card industry and and really that's what wyoming's doing we, we sought out the the specialization in crypto and the wyoming division of banking has really built up expertise in it they're now starting to train you know regulators in other states and back to your question, train the OCC. <laughs> so yeah, clearly. So do you see a mass migration of you know crypto thought leaders, companies, people moving to Wyoming? I, I I saw it being talked about all the time, and all of a sudden, of course, Miami has jumped into the spotlight. But we yeah. all know that Florida is not the same as as Wyoming as far yeah. as as regulation. So. I mean, I kind of had this image of like Atlas Shrugged and John Galt, you know, um, populating this entire uh, state of billionaires and, and brilliant thinkers. Is that what's happening out in Wyoming? Oh, yeah, to, to a small degree. Um, you know, Wyoming's a tough place to live. You've, it's got hardy people because it's cold. And so that's not for everybody. Um, I don't want to live in a in a super hot, humid environment. So Florida's not for me, but um, but it's for more people than it than, than Wyoming is. So what's sure, happened is Miami. a lot of, of companies have domiciled here. Uh, we're in the thousands at this point. Um, so, so really it's more comparable to Delaware. It's a place where companies are registering, but they're not necessarily locating there. And, uh, but that said, I happen to know because the CEO of one of the, one of the big crypto companies told me uh, that, that, that they're down to one of two places for moving and um, Wyoming's one of them. And so that would actually be locating here, putting, putting, putting people on, on the ground here. So obviously awesome. Kraken, Kraken already came. Um, right. And, and uh, yeah, I, 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 there's a lot going on. Let's put it that way. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to the companies to announce it. Um, but it's been a little, it's taken a little while to get going, uh, but it's happening for sure. 
I'm curious. We talked about obviously being able to custody uh, crypto as a as a bank. When do we start to see it used as collateral for loans? I mean, I've made the argument that Bitcoin is like the perfect collateral, and I, I recently saw Michael Saylor joking that he can put up his yacht, yeah. and get a multi million dollar loan, but it can be floating on the other side of the world when the when the bank comes calling. So you know, <laughs> Bitcoin obviously they can store it physically, yeah. you know, custody yeah. it and loan against it. So when do we start to see that happening? Well, we already are. Uh, we're, we're seeing a, a, a vibrant lending market. I've also said, you know, be careful because a vibrant lending market for Bitcoin, um, where, where Bitcoin is collateral for US dollar loans, uh, be careful, N number one, because it's obviously price volatile and you can get margin call very fast. Mm -hmm. um, but but the, other, um, the other piece is, is when you deposit your Bitcoin at a company, it's not your Bitcoin. They, of course, are holding the private keys. It's theirs and they owe it back to you, but they might not have it. And we don't have any ability to do any counterparty credit risk analysis. Uh, and, uh, you know, we just don't know if the counterparties are solvent. We had a big bankruptcy in late last year um, of, of a Bitcoin lender called Cred that filed for Chapter 11 in, in yeah. Delaware. And it was revealed that they weren't solvent for a long time before they finally uh, filed for chapter 11. And we just don't know, and there's no disclosure. And so be careful. I like the way Andreas Antonopoulos put it, you know, up 6% today, down 100% tomorrow. Um, and what he's referring to is if, if your lender goes bust and they had your Bitcoin, you might not get it back. Um, there is no lender of last resort to provide it to you. And the loss severity in these bankruptcies of Mt. Gox and, um, Quadriga and Cred uh, were 90%. Um, Mt. Gox is, is a little bit of an exception because the Bitcoin price rallied so much, we're, we're not gonna get the same number. I, I'm, I say we, cause I'm a, I, was, I, I, I lost money in Mt. Gox, I'm a creditor. So I'm, mm. I'm going through the bankruptcy process. We're not gonna get the same number of Bitcoins back, uh, but, the, sure. but we'll get the value back just because the bull market, you know, yeah, caused the value to go up. <laughs> but we will lose 90% or thereabouts of, of the quantity of Bitcoin that we had um, there. Luckily, I, it wasn't much for me and it was cheap insurance is how I think about it. Cause boy, it taught me that lesson um, that, you know, that's not really Bitcoin when it's deposited on the exchange. And uh, if you really think, you're, think it's yours, um, you better teach yourself that it's not and not your keys, not your coins. That is a, a really powerful catchphrase that we haven't had uh, a lot of in this bull market because, um, you know, a lot of us learned our lessons in, you know, two bull markets ago. Uh, sure. but, uh, but also, um, we've got a lot of newbies and uh, there's just a lot more information out there. And that's the one that should be bubbling up to the top. I just don't know if it is, if, if the newbies in this industry really truly understand that when they own it I at an exchange, it's not really theirs. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I mean, obviously we see these huge lending platforms, the BlockFi's and the Celsius, and I, I wasn't really necessarily talking about them. I'm just curious when like a federal bank will be, low, uh, you know, but yeah. Um, uh, it's yeah. coming. It's coming, yeah. I think. Yeah. But it's also, you know, collateral, you need collateral to be relatively stable for, from a price volatility perspective. So I actually think ironically, um, yes, Bitcoin is a perfect collateral because it doesn't, it's not an IOU. It doesn't have an issuer, but ironically, the price it volatility drops. probably yeah. is, is keeping it out of use uh, as, as collateral. Gold is, is, for example, not really used as collateral either. It's, it's more of a marginal thing. But where I'm going is I think the stable coins, because they're 100% backed by actual reserves, 
um, that, although in Tether's case, you know, that's been a question, but, but generally they're supposed to be 100% back, right? Um, and, uh, and so uh, I think that can, can be a new form of collateral, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. It's funny to talk about uh, people not realizing when they deposit that it's no longer their Bitcoin. I think people don't realize when they deposit dollars in a bank that it's no longer their dollars. I'm just going to say, but back to what we talked about at the beginning and the, and the whole GameStop thing, you know, boy, a lot more people understand it now than they, they margin did before called that people happened. who didn't use leverage. Right. I mean, right. They, they liquidated yeah. positions of people who thought they were just buying a stock. You think you're, you own the securities in your brokerage account and that taught the world you don't. They just owe it to you and they might not have them. And if something had gone wrong with Robinhood and it had had a bankruptcy and not been able to raise, I think they raised something like four and a half billion of capital in a very short period of time. If they'd not been able to do that, um, they got margin called by their clearinghouse. Um, if they had not been able to do that, then then um, boy, a, a big lesson would have been learned by a lot of people that we don't own the securities in our brokerage accounts. They're just IOUs and your brokers are not required to actually have those securities in their inventory. I had to learn that lesson the hard way. How close do you think we are to getting more federal clarity from, from regulators. I would love to know how close we are to getting some sensible tax laws in the United States around crypto, but that, yeah. uh, that, <laughs> I'm not counting on that anytime soon that they'll be less heavy handed. But I mean, when do you think the floodgates open and regulators really define what this is and, and, and we understand what banks can and can't do and what people can and cannot do? Well, we have to, on the banking side, we have to know who the new um, OCC head is going to be. Uh, and, you know, word is there are two competitors, one of whom is pretty pro-crypto and one of whom is not. So let's see Shocker. who that person is. Um, and, uh, uh, but, but I actually think on the, on the commercial law side, which is really important as well, Bitcoin and, and crypto assets generally live in a gray area in commercial mm -hmm. law. And, and so, um, for example, we were talking about stable coins. One of the things that has prevented the existing stable coins for being used as collateral is no one knows what would happen in the event of a dispute that ended up in a lawsuit because no one knows exactly what they are from a legal perspective. And there's a warning, USDC has a warning that I've always said, I don't mean to single, single them out because they just have a more responsible lawyer who's warning everyone that these transactions don't fit in nice, tidy legal buckets and they may not actually be legally enforceable anywhere in the world. Um, and so that's one of the things Wyoming did. We, we really clarified the, the treatment of digital assets and um, under commercial law, we jumped out ahead. Now, other states are gonna follow. Usually that's done in a collective organization called the Uniform Law Commission that tries to keep commercial law um, standard across all 50 states, but it's not the federal government is where I'm going to answer your question. Like, when are we gonna get clarity? It's actually the states, the states need to give that clarity. But it's funny because I'm an observer in that in that committee, and in the beginning they were they they started out with everything has to be paper, and um, you know uh, candidly a lot of them are retired law professors. It's not exactly folks who are who truly understand crypto and are using it every day. Um, but by the same token, they've mo they've moved in the right direction. I'm not saying I'm optimistic that it's going to get to the right place, um, but it's a long process, and we still have more opportunity. There are people like Drew Hinkis and Carla Reyes 
who do understand crypto, who are part of those groups and are really helping to move it in, um, bless you, in the right direction. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, and by the way, that model law for the state is coming out um, in the summer of 2022. And then it takes, you know, it's, it's going to take more time for the states to enact it in their legislatures. Um, some states have not even enacted key parts of the uniform commercial code 30 years after they got proposed, right? So I don't know how long it's going to take to get all 50 states to get these laws, uh, but I'm very glad that Wyoming didn't wait. And I'm very glad that Nebraska looks like it's going to fast follow. So we're really, really early. We're so early. Yes. Barely in the first inning. Yeah, I do. Someone asked me that yesterday as well. We are in the first inning now, but barely. <laughs> That's how I would would phrase yeah, it. I guess it was spring training for the last uh, 10 years, though. So, yep. yep, we got a lot of practice. We got kinks worked out. You know, we had the we had the, uh, the block size wars in Bitcoin. Uh, we still have wars going on between the different protocols. But I will say it's pretty obvious to me Bitcoin won at this point. Um, every, everything else, um, you know, is competing for, for the rest. And there are, there are very big uses for certain of those protocols, uh, especially Ethereum. But as a, as, a, as a store of value token, it's pretty obvious that Bitcoin won. Which is uh, pretty, pretty incredible after all this time. Um, yeah. Because especially after last year, seeing it drop and everybody arguing against that, right? Saying that yeah. uh, that can't happen to... Uh, saying it was just correlated to other markets and that, that the case for digital gold was over. Thank you, Michael Saylor and friends, I guess at this <laughs> point for saving us. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm curious then, uh, can you talk a bit about your actual role on the Wyoming Blockchain Committee? Well, I'm, I've been appointed uh, now three times by Wyoming's governors, two different governors. Uh, and I'm a civilian, I'm not an elected official. And uh, so I don't vote. Um, we, the, the blockchain task force uh, was a temporary task force, and I could vote on that because it was temporary, but now it's actually a, a what's called a select committee. Um, it's a, it actually has permanence in the Wyoming legislature because we know we're going to have to keep up our statutes. Um, for example, I was talking about South Dakota with, with its financial services industry. Um, they have passed an average of four bills per year clarifying those statutes. You have to, statutes are living things. You can't just let them atrophy. Uh, and so um, Wyoming is going to continue to update its statutes um, over time. And I'm a, one of the three civilians on that committee. <coughs> Excuse me. Did you no mean problem. to uh, cough in everybody's ear? I did it. <laughs> so <laughs> you, wish you, got, you, you hit the mute button in time, though. <laughs> I, I know. I was good. So you, uh, you mentioned earlier, obviously, obviously, there's stable coins have incredible use cases. They may very well yeah. be the future of this space beyond Bitcoin just being digital gold. But for the actual use yeah. case, you mentioned central bank digital currencies. China obviously is far, far ahead. What do you think the development of central bank digital currency means for the entire ecosystem? Will the United States go that route? What do you I mean, I think a digital dollar of some sort is somewhat inevitable. But um, what do, you, what do you think it means? Yeah, my, my, my prediction is, yes, it, it will evolve, but I think the private sector is actually going to be where the, the payment technology comes from. It's not going to be from the central bank itself. Um, that has historically how payment technologies have evolved in the US. You know, the credit card networks were private 
Um, they, 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 they originated through the banks. ACH originated through the banks. SWIFT originated through the banks. So this is just another version and, and we're gonna have bank versions of digital dollars and we're, they're gonna compete in the marketplace. And uh, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. The market will vote with, with its feet. Um, I also think, uh, I do think that central bank digital currencies are coming. Um, the, the ones who have experimented with them have not loved their experimentation. Right. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's gonna take time, uh, but it, it's definitely coming because these payment technologies are so strong. One of the, the questions that, that frequently gets asked is, you know, are, are banks gonna go away? And the answer is absolutely not. You know, central nope. banks are not set up to service in the US 350 million you know, individual customers and however many hundreds of millions of businesses. They're just not set up with the customer service and the compliance onboarding. They're set up to, to service uh, you know, several hundred banks as their customers. And so I think we will keep the two-tiered banking system even if we do eventually get FedCoin. Um, it's probably going to be more um, uh, you know, that the banks end up distributing it kind of like, like physical dollars. Uh, right. Banks distribute physical dollars. You don't go to, to the Fed in, in, in Washington, D.C. or one of the reserve banks in like Dallas to, to get your physical dollars. You get them from a bank. The bank distributes them. And that's I what's thought you got happen. them in a big bag that had a dollar sign on it. <laughs> well, you, you can do that with, uh, with you know, quarters and dimes and nickels, but not, uh, yeah, yeah. But, and by the way, with all the Bank Secrecy Act stuff, you're not going to be able to walk out with $10,000 of cash without, no. you know, without a lot of compliance uh, work being done first. Yeah, I don't think central banks are going anywhere. But interestingly, you said that you think that Bitcoin has solidified its case as digital gold. Do you think yes. that we will, like we're seeing the micro strategies and Teslas of the world putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet, do you think we're going to see central banks buying Bitcoin? Oh, sure. And I I'm sure we already have. Um, yeah. Um, but but uh, two, two thoughts. One is um, a lot just won't disclose it. I, I, I happen to know there have been a number of big international brand name companies that have been using Bitcoin for years and they just don't talk about it because it hasn't been in their interest to talk about it. And now it is. So maybe some will. Um, most will probably just stay quiet because they just don't want the world to know how they're moving money around the world. But like I said earlier, corporate treasurers have such an incentive to find the cheapest, best fastest, safest way to move money, and they will. Um, but the other thing, you mentioned MicroStrategy and Square. Uh, the other thing that's, that is interesting is, um, this dates back to, it also gets back to your earlier question about what needs to change in order for this to really go full mainstream. The gap accounting for Bitcoin is very punitive. It matches the gap accounting for gold. It's something called uh, an indefinite intangible. And to put it in plain English, I'm not an accountant, but the, the gist is it's the lower of cost or market, which means that you're only ever marking it down. You're never marking it, marking up, it up on your financial statements until you sell it. And so that's really ugly accounting because you can end up with a surprise charge. Um, Overstock has been accounting this way since 2014 and they have taken impairment charges. And these impairment charges run through your net income and most CEO compensation is tied to net income, right? So nobody wants a big surprise impairment charge that may not be correlated with your underlying business. It's one of the reasons why people, why, why corporate treasurers want something stable in their, in their, in their cash and investments. So um, I think what MicroStrategy did is, is awesome. And, but you know, Square is now up to 5% of their cash. Yeah. MicroStrategy is clearly an outlier. I'll bet <laughs> you what Square did was determine how much earnings volatility they're willing to take in scenarios of, a, of, of an impairment charge in a 
in a Bitcoin bear market. Bear market. Um, yeah. And you know, if you catch the early part of the Bitcoin bull market, your risk of an impairment charge is lower because you're buying at lower prices. And we've seen in Bitcoin generally higher highs and higher lows, but you have to have bought near the low in order to minimize your, your risk of an impairment charge. And, you know, again, I think that's exactly what MicroStrategy did. Uh, but I also think that's why Square limited it initially to 2% of their cash. Now they're at 5% of their cash, but they're not all in because they don't want that earnings volatility. Okay. We got to fix that. If you know, I will, I will repeat a plea I've made before. If you are a CPA and you're part of the, you know, uh, FASB financial accounting standards board group, please do your part to fix this. You know, some of us are working on open source code. Some of us are working on, you know, the legal code. That's what I've been doing in Wyoming. I don't have the skill set to do the uh, either open source code or accounting. We need an accounting <laughs> version. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the industry just has to start working on that because it's just wrong accounting. And uh, I'll close this thought with saying that, that it's crazy because US GAAP allows you to buy Bitcoin or gold or other indefinite intangibles in a fund structure and market up and down. But if you buy the actual asset, you don't get to market up and down. You only mm. market down until you right. sell it. It's right. just crazy. It just creates an incentive for Wall Street to capture fees um, just so that the accounting can be accurate. That's, that's, what, that's where we got to push back on, on US GAAP standards. Yeah, that obviously makes no sense. Well, I know that we're, we're, we're running out of time here. So where can everybody uh, keep up with you and uh, see what you're doing in the future? Uh, Twitter, um, I'm on Clubhouse now and uh, also Avanti Bank. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was really enlightening and uh, gives me great hope. I love that we're just in the first inning. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, great, great conversation. We'll, we'll do this again as we, uh, as we get you into are invited. third and fourth. And Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Bye -bye. everyone. Bye-bye.